This is the Mosaic Church Podcast. Mosaic Church is committed to making disciples that discover Christ, connect in Christian community, and serve others and the world. In Pergamum writes, the word of him who has a sharp two-edged sword. I know where you dwell. I know where Satan's throne is. Yet you hold fast my name, and you did not deny my faith, even in the days of Antipas, my faithful witness, who was killed among you, where Satan dwells. But I do have a few things against you. You have some things, some there who hold the teaching of Balaam, and who taught Balak to put a stumbling block before the sons of Israel, so that they may eat food sacrificed to idols and practice sexual immorality." So also you have some who have to hold the teaching of the Nicolaitans. Therefore repent. If not, I will come to you soon and war against them with the sword of my mouth. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who conquers, I will give some of the hidden manna, and I will give him a white stone with a new name written on the stone that no one knows except the one who receives it. This is God's word. If you were here back in November, we started a, a sermon series on the other seven red, or the other red letters, it's, uh, letters to the churches. We allow the, the sermon, or excuse me, the, the passage to determine the topic. We don't play the game of picking topics because we as humans may have a fault that we always would want to go to our theological sweet tooth, the things that we always like. You know, the things we always gravitate to certain types of foods that we like. Like, I know Jenny loves tacos, so if she could have tacos every day, she'll do tacos. And as a church, and especially in Western America, in Western culture, in American church, we love grace, and we love love, and we don't like judgment. We don't like being corrected. We don't like repentance. We don't like it. And so we don't. If we're not careful, and if we just preach on topics without knowing, I don't think anybody does on purpose, we tend to gravitate to our own theological sweet tooth. A lot of our songs, I mean, when's the last time we sang a song about being judged, right? It's, it's, we don't. We talk about judgment. But this is, if you uh, remember, it's, it's this, this topic or the theme in the seven churches is uh, Jesus will talk about certain th- good things that are happening in the church, but also will point the finger to those that are not so good. And here we are with our third church, Pergamum. If you remember, Ephesus was the church that was, had lost its first love. The church in Smyrna was a suffering church, and they were being challenged. But this church is going to be challenged with being a compromising church. What causes church that one time was maybe a strong church to compromise? What led behind their lowering of their standards or their defenses to allow the world, the things of this world, to enter into this fellowship? And this message was written to a specific church. But as Mosaic Church, thousands of years later, we can 
glean from it and learn for ourselves. But what is it about this church that caused it to lower its weapon and allowed the world to enter in? We may not know exactly what's going on, but I believe as we read the scripture and unfold the scripture, it will give us some details that we can come up with some points of what is going on. The city of Pergamum was uh, situated 50 miles northeast of Smyrna. You know, we talked about Ephesus, you know, back in November, and Ephesus was kind of like the New York City, the big metropolitan city of the Roman Empire. Then we talked about Smyrna, which was a smaller city, maybe something like, uh, it's not much smaller, but Houston or, or Chicago. But Pergamum is very different. And we know from reading the scripture, it was kind of like Washington, D.C., or if we put it in the state level, it'd be like Tallahassee. It's where the Roman Empire ran its government. It was, as the Bible says, it was the seat of Satan. It was the center point. And we know through scripture, it says it was the seat of Satan. And we know that Satan typically uses two types of weaponry that he has. Now, this is a cartoon of the Iranian leader with the West. And you've heard it always talked about the carrot or the stick. So the enemy is no different. He recognized that he has two things in his tool belt to defeat the church. He could defeat it through the stick or attempt to defeat it through the stick or attempt to defeat it through the carrot. Now, a lot of times when he uses the stick, it backfires, doesn't it? Remember in the, after uh, the beginning of 1930s, around there, the, the Christian missionaries were booted out of China and persecution came, the stick came heavy upon the believers in the church in China. And it's still happening to this day. But what happened? It purified the church. And what happened? The church grew. So it backfired in that place. And other places like it. Now, there may not be, well, in China, there's like 300 million believers, they say. He thinks it's going to backfire. He thinks it's going to defeat the church by bringing the stick and making people suffer and be persecuted, but it refines the church. It burns up all those things that don't, we don't need, and, and it refines the church. But then there's another tactic, another tool the enemy uses, and it's the use of what we call the carrot. It means something that will be pleasurable to maybe lose our focus. I like to call it a sleight of hand. The enemy uses this trick of sleight of hand. He tries to, to get us off track, and he tries to switch the real gospel with the false gospel. He tries to trick us in thinking that there are other things just as important or more important than serving Christ and loving the lost. He, he gets the church to believe that holiness isn't that really important. It's not important in serving Christ. You can serve Jesus any way you want. 
But that's not the scripture. But he gets us to believe in this, the carrot, the thinking that if we could just do this, it'll be better. He gets us to believe that holiness, as I said, is an option. Holiness is too radical for the church in the West. So let's soften up the terminology. Let's soften up our commands in the church. Holiness is weird. Holiness is a a four-letter word in our culture. But he seduces us, doesn't he? The enemy. He He makes us think that sin is really not that bad. A lot of times we are, I would call it, we deduce or uh, reductionist in the sense like it's very similar to Adam and Eve's where you do something wrong, but nothing happened. Nothing bad happened. And so you think, well, I guess I could do it again. And nothing bad happens. And that's the enemy making us think that we can have it our way. We can have it both ways. We can have one foot in the church and one foot in the world. You can have Christ and you can have the world. In James chapter 4, it says, Do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? It's very similar to Genesis chapter 3, where the enemy convinces Adam and Eve that they're missing out that there's something more. Typically, that's Sears telling me that there's a sale going on. (laughs) You're missing out. There's something more. The pasture is greener on the other side. And Adam and Eve fell for that trick. And instead of finding more, what did they find? They found less. Something, somehow, Jesus really isn't enough. But again, in James chapter 4, it says, Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. See, the enemy recognized, especially in the West, that uh, the stick doesn't work that well. But the carrot works really well. And this is what it says in Revelation, if you read with me, verse 12. The words of the hymn who has a sharp two-edged sword. The message comes to, when when your scripture might say angel, some scriptures say messenger, but typically it's to the leader of the church or an elder or pastor. And this is what he says. The word of him who has a sharp two-edged sword. And somehow... The church in Pergamum had lost its understanding of the importance of the two-edged sword to fight the enemy. They maybe try to fight the enemy with nice worship songs or cute sayings, but they were losing ground. They were losing ground to to the enemy, and the church was suffering, the church of Pergamum. The enemy has convinced this church to lower its weapons to lower its weapon and to give in. In Hebrews chapter 4, it says, For the word of the God is a living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, 
piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joint and marrow, discerning the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. Ephesians 6 says, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. And I believe the church in Pergamon has failed to recognize its weapon that it had, which is the word. The written word. Or its relationship with Jesus and through the Holy Spirit. It forgot to put on the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. When Jesus was tempted and sent out into the, the wilderness, the enemy tried to seduce Jesus. And Jesus did not reply with cute sayings, nice little worship songs. What did he do? He, he battled by proclaiming the word and defeated the enemy in the temptation war. Where Jesus wins the temptation war, Adam and Eve lose. Adam tried to convince the devil with his opinion or beat the devil with his opinion, but Jesus does not give his opinion. He gives the word of God. In verse 13 in chapter 2, I know where you dwell, where Satan's throne is, yet you hold fast my name, and you did not deny my faith, even in the days of Antipas, my faithful witness. We know that earlier on that Jesus says that in Ephesus, I know your works. In the church of Smyrna, I know your affliction and your poverty. And here in Pergamum's church, it says, I know where you live. I know where you live. And we see that the church was faithful in two areas. And I pray that would be true for us. They were faithful to uphold the name of Christ. They did not declare that Caesar is Lord, but Jesus is Lord. But they said the right things. They also held fast to their faith. They came to Christ on his terms, grace through faith. Even when Antipas was martyred, because of his faithfulness, they continued to uphold the name of Christ. But here comes the bad news in verse 14. But I have a few things against you. You have some, and it's not everybody, but some who are teaching the teaching of Balaam and who taught Balak to put a stumbling block, the story of Balaam. And so also you have some who hold the teaching of the Nicolaitans. The church suffered, but it wasn't perfected because it gave in. It didn't give in, you know, by yards. It gave in inch by inch. They still considered themselves Christians, but they were not really pure in their hearts and dedicated to the Lord. They allowed compromise in their lives and into the church. They told the truth with their lips, but with their lives they lied. In 1 John, we know this, and you know this scripture, I know him, but doesn't, whoever says I know him, but does not keep his commands is a liar. They knew the truth in their heads. They said it with their mouth and maybe sang it with their voices, but they lied with their lives. You guys know the story of Balaam. Balaam was a spiritualist in the Old Testament. 
And he was, he was being used by King Balak, the Moabite, to convince the Israelites that they're going to lose. And he couldn't do it because it wasn't true. But at the end, he does say what the king wants to hear, the bad king wants to hear. But we know this, that the Israelites were defeated. And you know how they were defeated if you know the story. They were seduced. They lowered their standards. They gave in and began to marry people outside of their clan and their people and began to take on other gods. You know, a, a personal story, um, and I don't mean to embarrass any of my children. It's not, nothing embarrassing, but I remember there was a time in my, our personal life, Robin and I's family life, that I felt like, you know, I felt like, I, I felt like if the enemy came, I was ready. I was ready. He was pretty shrewd. So he didn't come to me head on because I felt like I was ready. He came and flanked and he began to uh, attack my kids spiritually. And there were times where I was wondering, where are my kids spiritually? Here I am at, at Mosaic preaching on a Sunday morning. But where are my children? There, was a, there were times in my life as a parent, I wondered, are my kids really, are they really following Jesus? Or are they saying the right things, singing the right things, but in their lives not living the life? Just to throw you off, two were godly, one was not. I'm just kidding. So I'm thinking like, who could it be? <laughs> he comes, the, the enemy is shrewd. And we cannot lower our standard and we cannot lower our weapon. In verse 15, I'll just move forward. It says that, chapter 2, Revelation, so you have also some who hold the teaching of the Nicolaitans. Remember, the church in Ephesus dealt with this. They wanted to uphold the, the name, but they also straddled the fence. They didn't really want what Christianity was standard. The church in Ephesus struggled with, you can be a Christian and pretty much do whatever you want to do. And don't we find that in our culture today? People who say they're Christians but still live the way they want to live. You can live and do whatever you, you want to do because God is going to forgive you. You want to live like the world Monday through Saturday and then Sunday just come in and everything will be fine and dandy. And that was what was going on in the, in the churches that we we're mentioning in, in Revelation. They said it was your flesh is what sinned and your spirit was safe. They watered down God's requirements in areas of Christian perseverance and sanctification. The churches were what I would call, and, and this is definitely something I know that began to happen in our, in our generation, in our culture, is that salvation became easy peasy. Just raise your hand. As long as you give a, a nod and a uh huh, you're in. 
Just close your eyes, bow your head, raise your hand, and you're in. And if you can say, uh-huh, then we're good. But that's not scripture. And, and even if that was good, we don't really tell people, now your life belongs to Jesus, so you can't go do what you want to do. And, and, and so people just go out these doors and, and live like they've always lived because they raised their hand and nodded their head and said, uh-huh, uh-huh, I'm in. I would love to tell you different, you know, so we can somehow feel good, but I would be, a, I would be derelict in duty if I didn't challenge us and myself what it really means to be a believer. It's more than just thinking the right things and singing the right things. It's living the right things. It's living it out. We, in the church in, in Pergamum, they, I imagine they talked about grace, which is awesome. Grace is awesome. I thank God for grace. I need it every day of my life. But I also believe the Holy Spirit gives us the power to live rightly. So salvation is not just a formula to follow. Just raise your hand, nod your head, and say, mm-hmm. And if, and if we're really, a, you know, like a pushy church, we'd make you come up front and raise your hand, bow your head, and, and just say, mm-hmm. But it's more than that, isn't it? And you know that, and I know that. But sadly, we, I remember this guy, C.J. Mahaney, he was a big-time evangelist in, in the United States, and he said his challenge, this was the late 70s, early 80s, his number one challenge was to convince people that are Christian that they're not. So Jesus is really coming hard, down hard on this church. He says, listen, don't obey false doctrine. If, if there's no difference between how you are living church and then the world, then you're believing a false doctrine. They claim to know Christ, but their lives deny it. The word Nicolaitan means overcomer of the people, overcomes the people. And Balaam means rule over the people. And these are false teachings that we need to be ruled and covered by Jesus and not by the culture. In verse 16 in Revelation chapter 2, it says, Therefore, repent. If not, I will come to you soon and war against them with the sword of my mouth. Compromise had invaded the church in order to please everybody. And in this church, or the challenge of the church in this time, everybody was happy in the church except for one person. And that person is the one that really matters, is Jesus. So Jesus gives a counterattack to the church, and he says, I want you to repent. And repentance is God's gift. Amen? You know, I used to think repentance was something that was shameful. I remember one time sitting where, like, my friend Bill is sitting, and I felt convicted by the Holy Spirit, and I, I wanted to go to the front, but I didn't go to the front. Because I didn't want people to think that I was a sinner. And if I went to the front, they would think that I'm a sinner. And I didn't want them to think that. I wanted to think they, that I was not a sinner. And so I didn't respond. I sat in my pew and I didn't do anything. I just sat there. And it dawned on me that I was being obedient to my flesh of pride, self-preservation, 
but I was not obedient to the Holy Spirit. But little did I know when you repent, it's kind of like the prodigal son. It's not to bring shame, but to reunite the relationship with the Father. To reunite the relationship with the Father. So Jesus gives the church in Pergamon an opportunity to repent. Repent. And then he loved the church so much, he gave them a warning. If you don't repent, you're going to suffer. Now, some of you are parents, and most of you are young, uh, parents of young kids. But I imagine uh, Jenny and, uh, let's see, you know, Rhea and a few, uh, Amber back there with older kids. We've done this, haven't we? We told them, hey, do this. And if you don't do this, punishment's coming. You, by God, because you love your kids, you warn them. You give them a heads up. This is going to happen if you don't do step one, two, and three. So that when punishment comes, they're not surprised. I think it'd be tough as a parent. You don't tell them anything, and all of a sudden you just punish them. Like, where did that come from? But God loves his church so much. He gives them an opportunity to repent, and he gives them a heads up if what happens if they don't. If not, he says, I will come to you soon and war against them with the sword of my mouth. And one thing you don't ever want to do is see Jesus come too soon in your life. My pastor friend, uh, the, the pastor I was under, a youth pastor, he never did hospital visitations. He just didn't do it unless you were dying. So nobody wanted the pastor to come see him. But if, the, if you saw the pastor and the doctors didn't tell you anything, you knew something was up. It wasn't good. And you don't want Jesus to come into our lives and our family lives and our church life prematurely. We are waiting for his return. But we don't want him to come with a sword, a double-edged sword in a war against the church, meaning this local body. Repentance. Jesus, you know the story in Matthew 21, drove out all those who sold and brought in the temple were, were the money changers, and he turned over, overturned the tables and sold defected animals. This time, Jesus is not going to come and overturn tables, but I pray that he would never have to come to our church and overturn pulpits and pews with his word, the sword of the mouth. In verse 17, who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who conquers, I will give some of the hidden manna, and I will give him a white stone with a new name written on the stone that no one knows except who receives it. If we read earlier on, we know that there was a reference to tree, and I think it was in the second church. There was reference to a crown of life, but this one is protected from second death. The gift of manna. I don't have time. We're running out of time, but who is our bread? Jesus, and God is going to reward us with his son, his son. Talks about hidden manna. Christ is the fulfillment of the Old Testament manna. The gift of the white stone. Now, that's very interesting. I I don't have too much time, but the white stone basically is manna, uh, a manna type. It's It's a crystallized manna. Now, again, people are all over the map and what it is, 
but we know that it is a gift from God. And one of the things I love is that you get a new name. A new name means a new status. You know, when someone would blot you out of the, the book, you know, the, uh, Roman cities would keep really good um, record. And if you were a bad guy, if you were a criminal and they crucified you, they would go to the record book and erase your name and blot out your name. You know why? Because they didn't want your name, your behavior, to ruin the reputation of the city. They blotted out. But Jesus wants to write his name in the book that matters, in my name, in your name. And he says that he gives us a new name, indications of a new status. Every true believer will be given a new name, a new character, a new righteousness that will last forever. And that's what happens when we give our lives over to Jesus. Therefore, if anyone who's in Christ is a new creature, the old has passed away, and behold, the new has come. So what's our challenge as we close Here's one of the things that we need to know, that God knows what we're doing. He knows the good things that we're doing, and he knows the bad things that we're doing. So he's not, he's not like blind to it. Picking on my kids, there are some things I imagine I did not know they did. Because I imagine my parents did not know the things that I did. One time I took, back in the day in Florida, you used to have an inspection sticker. I think in certain, like Georgia, you have to get an inspection. I literally razor blade mine, uh, one off of my brother's motorcycle and put it on my dad's truck that it did not have an inspection to go see a, a girl. I drove up to Tampa because I told him I was going to go see my brother. I went under the car and undid the odometer cable. Went all the way to Cocoa Beach came all the way back, my parents had no clue, until I passed my brother that I told him I was going to go see in college, and he caught up to me. He was going the opposite direction. He went home that weekend. So there were things that my dad and my parents didn't know. But that's not Jesus. We can't fool him. We cannot fool him. He knows and that's why he challenges the church and he challenges us to repent. We even offered opportunity during communion to make things right with God. We want to make sure that our name doesn't bring shame to the community of God, his holiness. We want to be obedient to his word and to his church. And when we do that, Christ will grant us repentance Repent, repentance brings us back to Jesus. It brings us back to the right relationship. And guess what the reward is? Jesus. Jesus. We get God. We don't fall prey to like Adam and Eve where they want more. They think there's, they're trying to look behind if there's something more than God. Is there something more than Jesus? We get Jesus. So I thank the Lord for Revelation chapter 2. It's challenged my life, and I hope it's challenged yours. Let's go ahead and bow our heads, and let's just pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your Holy Spirit. Thank you for your Holy Spirit that brings conviction, not condemnation, but conviction. 
Lord, some of us in this room have been toying with sinful thoughts in our head. We haven't fleshed them out, Lord, but they're in our heads. They're ping-ponging in our heads. And we're playing this game of like chess, if we could do this and if we could do that. And Jesus is here to tell you he wants to bring new thoughts into your head. He wants to bring new life into your life. If you admit that you need him. You admit that you need him. By repenting, you're admitting that you need Jesus. Every eye closed, every head bowed, nobody's to look. And I'm not going to ask for anything personal, but I'm not going to ask you to come to the front, but I am going to ask you. There's an error in your life that, you know, you need Jesus' help. That's you. Just raise your hand real quick. Amen. Jesus is honored when you raise your hand and say, yes, I need help. Lord, I pray, God, for everyone who raised their hands, and I'm raising my hands, that there's areas of my life that I need help in that are not right. Lord Jesus, help us. Thank you for your love and your grace and for your warning. Lord, I pray, God, that Mosaic Church, 20 years from now, which is hard to think that far down, we're still serving you. That we would not fall prey to the culture, to its its pressures. And Lord, that we would not fall prey to the, the carrot of pleasures and contentment and laziness. Lord, help us as a church. Thank you, Father, for your goodness and kindness. We walk in your repentance and your grace and forgiveness. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. We want to thank you for listening. We pray that you were blessed and encouraged. If you like what you heard today, subscribe to this podcast and listen whenever you like. To find out more about Mosaic Church, please visit www.mosaicchurchtlh.com.